Yes. Oh, it is. I'm sorry. Okay. Uh, now I'm going to start at the beginning of the, uh, the paragraph. Now we. No, pass. you're reading the psalm. Psalm 119, 145. Holy Mike, you see him at one week and already I can't do anything right. 119, 145. Here we go. Okay. I call with all my heart. Hear to me, O Lord, and I will obey your decrees. I call out to you, save me, and I will keep your statutes. I rise before the dawn and cry for help. I have my hope in your word. My eyes stay open through the watches of the night that I may meditate on your promises. Hear my voice in accordance with your love. Preserve my life, O Lord, according to your laws. Those who devise wicked schemes are near, but they are far from your law. Yet you are near, O Lord, and all your commands are true. Long ago I learned from your statutes that you established them to last forever. Forever. Okay, so we have uh, Burke is not here today. His son tripped over a chewy toy, landed on a towel rack and on his stomach, which is where he's got all of his problems. And so he's in the hospital and Burke is there with him. So uh, not only were we to pray for his son because of terrible cancer, which has just got him down to skin and bones, but now he's in the hospital because of a, a chewy toy. So um, Claudia has got a terrible migraine so we need to pray for her. Ray and Jess uh, in Papua New Guinea, our missionaries there, have been trying to get their uh, paperwork to go back to Papua New Guinea for three months. And they keep saying that the system is down. And it's not in Papua New Guinea. It's here at the embassy in Washington, D.C. So you think that they would just call an IT guy, but they really, they're to the point where they're stressed because they're in limbo. So keep them in prayer. Um, also, Claudia not only um, has a migraine, but she fell and she's all banged up. So uh, she just got one problem after another here lately. Um, Samuel, he asked for a family, uh, prayers for a family, a mechanical engineer that works with his father died on the highway. He has a pregnant wife and another child. And so he's asking for prayers for the family. Uh, just terrible. His name was Justin. but um, And then uh, Jackie in Missouri, her brother Steve, is getting better. And so I just wanted to give a report on him because we've been praying for him as well. And he's the one that had the uh, brain bleed here a week this past week. So we'll keep those folks in prayer, please. And uh, then uh, we also want to read 17 August. Let's see here. God works in mysterious ways. The land of southern Minnesota belonged to the Sioux Indians, but the pioneers wanted it for themselves. Therefore, in 1851, the government purchased the land for several hundred thousand dollars down, with the rest to be paid to the individual Indians as an annual annuity. The Sioux barely survived the winter of 1861-2 because of a poor corn crop the previous summer. When they came to the Indian agency to receive their annual annuities, they were told that the funds had not arrived. With no funds, the Indians could not buy the food and goods that had arrived. The delay continued for weeks. Finally, on Friday, August 15th, one of the traders was heard to say, So far as I'm concerned, if they are hungry, let them eat grass. The Sioux were enraged. The annuity money arrived in St. Paul the next day, but it didn't get to the first Indian agency until the following Monday. By then it was too late. 
On Sunday, August 17, 1862, four Indians entered a home in Acton, Minnesota and shot and killed four white settlers. The four Indians then ran to their chief, Little Crow, who asked him to lead them in a war against the white man. Little Crow agreed, not because he thought they could win, but because of the Sioux hatred of the white man and his Christianity. Within four weeks, the Indians had killed hundreds of whites throughout Minnesota, while thousands more fled to the safety of the forts. The governor of Minnesota raised an army to put down the revolt. About 1,700 Sioux warriors were imprisoned, and initially an order was given to hang 300 of them. However, President Abraham Lincoln reduced this number to 38. They were hung on the day after Christmas in 1862 in Mankato, Minnesota, while the other Sioux prisoners watched. It was the largest mass execution in American history. Up to this point, a few Sioux had become Christians, but the majority hated the white man's religion. The Sunday following the execution, Dr. Thomas Williamson, a Presbyterian ministry to the Sioux, held an outdoor service in the yard of the Mankato prison as the prisoner stood in foot-deep snow. He preached about God's plan for saving men from eternal death. That day, a marvelous work of grace began in the prison. Dr. Williamson spent the winter teaching and preaching to the Sioux prisoners. Soon the prisoners began to sing and pray together every morning and evening. Hundreds who had refused to listen to the gospel before eagerly listened. The work of God's Spirit continued throughout the winter. At the first baptismal service in the spring, 300 were baptized. Another group of prisoners were imprisoned in Fort Snelling near Minneapolis with their wives and children and additional Sioux families camped outside the fort. Dr. Williamson's son, John, another Presbyterian missionary, began meeting with the Sioux, with interested Sioux in a teepee among the families camped there. Within a few months, the group grew to hundreds who met together in the garret of a warehouse to learn more about Jesus. A similar awakening occurred within the, the Fort Snelling prison itself. In the spring of 1863, the Mankato prisoners were taken to prison in Davenport, Iowa. With only a few exceptions, all professed to be Christians. Every morning and evening, they sang and prayed together. In 1866, the prisoners at Davenport were released and taken along with the uh, Sioux from Fort Snelling to settle in Neobrara, Nebraska. They had prayed that God would remove their chains, and God answered. John Williamson accompanied the Sioux to Neobrara and eventually I'm sorry, and every morning and evening they continued to meet for prayer and praise, reading the Bible and rejoicing in what God had done for them. The Sioux uprising was the culmination of the hatred of the white man and his Christianity, but God in his infinite wisdom made the uprising the means of their salvation. The uprising is a picture of how everyone comes to God. By nature we are his enemies until he brings us to himself. Romans 5, for since we were restored to friendship with God by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be delivered from eternal punishment by his life. Oh, good stuff. Yeah. Never heard that story before. Very interesting. Uh, one more thing before we get started is tomorrow is 18 August, and it is Tom Alley's dun, 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 birthday. So happy birthday to Tom Alley. Go ahead and read the... Uh, uh, verses were in uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 16. It's nobody else's birthday? Uh, no, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16. <laughs> yes, here we go. I'm going to go to the beginning of the paragraph there. Now we ask you, brothers, to respect those who work hard among you, who are over you in the Lord, and who admonish you. 
hold them in the highest regard of love because of their work. Mm. Live in peace with each other, and we urge you, brothers, warn those who are idle, encourage the timid, help the weak, be patient with everyone, make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always try to be kind to each other and to everyone else. 16. Be joyful always. Okay. Heavenly Father, thank you for the chance to come into your presence and to uh, uh, just share in your goodness. And it's uh, very sad to read about the situation of the Indians, but it's very nice to know that there was a revival among them. And we would pray that that would continue again in the world because uh, uh, there are a lot of uh, Indian nations in this nation that are uh, caught in alcoholism, that are caught in despair. And uh, Lord, we just lift them up to you that, uh, that maybe something would happen that would change a lot of hearts and that the, the people would come closer to you along with the entire nation, which is so far departed from you. And Lord, we just are uh, lifting up the people we mentioned a moment ago. And uh, we ask that your hand will be with them and guide them. And also this class, we pray that uh, it would be handled properly. And if there's anything that is incorrect, you would alert us to it. We do not want to misuse your precious word, Lord. And we thank you for Tom Alley on his birthday. He's a wonderful guy, and he's just been such a blessing to me personally in my walk with you. And so uh, we thank you for him, and we ask that you give him a healthy and happy and prosperous year ahead. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Between you and me, we're pretty discombobulated. What's that? Oh, I know. I, I completely forgot to pray, but it worked out okay because you said to rejoice always, and that's what we do in prayer. So, we do. Okay. A lot of um, times that happens when people don't tell about their birthday. Well, yeah, and Tom, he keeps that quiet. So um, yours said what? It, it was three words. Okay, be joyful. Be full, joyful always. always. Okay, this one says rejoice always. Okay, Paul now begins a succession of rapid fire exhortations meant to stir up the minds and actions of those in Thessalonica. He begins with what is the shortest verse in the Bible based on the original wording, which is pantote charete. I should say the shortest verse in the New Testament, pantote charete, or always rejoice. It is argued uh, that Luke 20 verse 30 is shorter, but this is only so with certain manuscripts. In the Hebrew Old Testament, 1 Chronicles 1.25 is shorter in total letters, but it is three words. In the English translation, Jesus wept is the shortest, but that is much longer in the original and does not qualify. For an all-round shortest verse in the Bible, this is it. So I was right in some ways. It's the shortest, fewer letters in the verse in uh, the Old Testament, but it's three words in the Old Testament. This is two words, and so this would be, we'll call it the shortest in the Bible. Okay, um, and what a wonderful admonition it is. Those at Thessalonica were persecuted with afflictions. They were certainly challenged in their faith concerning the loss of their loved ones, and yet Paul exhorts them to rejoice always. There is a hope in Christ which transcends the troubles of this world and which extends beyond death itself. Because of this, we are admonished to rejoice and to do so always, at all times, and evermore. Okay, uh, before we go on, uh, 
I, I try to tell people this in sermons and during Bible studies, and um, it, it isn't always easy. You know, uh, you think of uh, having cancer and you got chemo and you're throwing up and you're just literally physically miserable. Um, it, it was not that serious, but last week I was very, very, very worn out. Even through this week, I've suffered the consequences of last week's work. Okay, I'm not 25 anymore, so everything I did, I, and plus it was really hot outside. So, um, <clears throat> but at the same time as being physically worn out, being you know, uh, whatever, having you know, problems with family, having whatever is going on in your life, Paul will still ask you and admonish you to rejoice always. He's not speaking about rejoicing in your sickness. He's not talking about rejoicing in your uh, failing health or anything like that. He's asking you to rejoice always because of the hope that you possess in Christ. Okay, so uh, we have to make sure that we have a difference in those things. It's uh, not always possible to rejoice outwardly in our, our physical life, but it is possible to rejoice in what we have uh, ahead of us in Jesus. Um, one of the stories I tell is uh, when I was in <clears throat> Southern Evangelical Seminary, the uh, missionary person said that uh, one time uh, he was told this. I don't think he was there personally, but he was told that he was in a prison uh, in China with another person that was in prison, and it was a terrible terrible prison. It, there was uh, very little food. The uh, circumstances were, you know, you're sleeping on a hard floor. There's, It's just a miserable conditions. And he said that the sweetest sound he ever heard was a Christian praising God in that prison, singing out to him. And uh, so even in a circumstance like that, that person was able to rejoice always. Uh, like I said, sometimes it's just not physically possible to do so. You're so violently ill that you can't. But at the same time, you can be content that you know Jesus and that he has your eternal destiny set. Um, uh, you know, when you get sick, you really don't know what it's like to feel good until you get sick. And every once in a while you get sick and you get really, really sick and you're miserable. And when it's over, you think, I just feel so good. And you just feel normal. You don't feel, you know, any more than you ever did before. But sometimes feeling sick will remind you of how good it is to just feel good. And so if we can keep that perspective in this life that no matter how bad it gets, something is coming where we will never think about what we're going through again. It'll be forgotten. If you think about, uh, you know, you smell a smell that you haven't smelled in 35 or 40 years, and it reminds you of somebody that you went to high school with. It comes back that quickly. Every good memory comes back with that smell. But when you uh, think of the bad times in your life, you don't remember them. I mean, you can remember that they were bad, but you don't get the same sensation. God allows us to forget bad. Uh, you know, we lose somebody that we love, and it hurts. And we go through a long time of uh, grieving. But there's a point where it doesn't hurt anymore. But the joy never goes away. You will remember the joy that you had with your friend from 50 years ago, just like you did yesterday. So the Lord has constructed us this way. When we get to glory, we will always remember the things that brought us to Christ. And they will be so sweet to us. And we will. Re people say, oh, you're not going to remember yourself in heaven. If I don't remember Charlie Garrett in heaven, then I don't want to go to heaven. What's the point? 
I want to be able to rejoice that I was in this fallen, disgusting, broken world, a part of it, never pleasing my Lord fully. And yet he, by his grace, brought me there. I want to remember that. I don't want to forget what I was and who I was and the things that I've done and that I continue to do. I don't want to forget those things. And I will be able to, but I will not remember the, the bad part of it. I'll remember the good part, the part about Christ. And this is when we think of rejoicing always, it is to be centered on our love of Jesus. It's to be centered on our hope of what he has promised us. Because this world, if you're rejoicing always in this world, you're probably a screwed up person. I'm talking about you're rejoicing in the world, oh, yeah, not yeah. you're rejoicing in Christ in the world, okay? If you are rejoicing that you're living in this world, I gotta wonder about your priorities. I, I am rejoicing that someday I will be out of this world. That's right, I, that is where my hope is. Anybody that wants to stay, I, I've said this before and I know I upset people when I say it, but I do not get Christians that cling to this life. I don't get them. They, they, they don't wanna die, they wanna, I just don't get that attitude. If, if you have it, I'm sorry, I'm not trying to offend you, but I don't want to cling to this life. I remember uh, last year in Hedico, I we talked to a million people about this since it happened. I was in the uh, emergency care because of the bee stings and I was gone. I, I mean, she said I turned blue and keeled over and so she went down the hall looking for somebody. and when they brought me back, the first thing that came out of my mouth was, I'm still here. I, I, I mean, I, I, just, I would have been just content to not come back. Now, he obviously has a purpose for me to be here, so I'm here, but um, I, rejoice always to me is what is coming. Our hope in Jesus Christ, okay? I don't want to beat that to death too much, but I just love Jesus. I just want to spend eternity in the presence of the Lord. You know, you look at the Psalms and that's what they're writing about. You know, a day in the uh, the house of the Lord is better than a thousand elsewhere or whatever. I, I probably misquoted that, but it's, it's about being in the Lord's presence that we are to rejoice in. And we can do it always, 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 always. Um, the theme of the book of Philippians is summed up in the word joy. Despite writing from a dirty Roman prison, and this is Paul, he's, a dirty Roman prison is a place where if somebody did not bring you food, you did not eat. Okay, it was cold, it was stinky. They've described these prisons. You can go online and read descriptions of Roman prisons and it wasn't pleasant. And here he's writing this epistle to people telling them to rejoice always. So Paul was filled with joy at the thought of the work of the Lord for his people. This is the state that we are to be in always. Okay, life application. Read the words of this verse again, apply to life. Rejoice always. Okay, that's what we should be doing. Uh, short, sweet, to the point, but it is such a wonderful set of words. Two words to help guide us on our, uh, obviously it's not my favorite verse in the Bible because uh, mine is, let us fix our eyes on Jesus. But uh, despite that, they are wonderful words that we can remember. It's not a long verse. I think everybody here, if you applied yourself over the next seven days, you could remember the words of uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.16. So that's my challenge to you this week is to remember the words of one, rejoice always. So next week, you should be able to come in here and say, rejoice always. I've got a verse down in the Bible. Okay, can you do it, you think? I think so. Okay. I think so. All right. But one, thing about the, one thing about the, the people not being able or being nervous about uh, 
dying is that nobody likes change. No. At all. No. And like that's like the ultimate change. It's yeah. Like, okay, well, you so know, this will no longer that it's that, good. But, but it's a change. How good? It's yeah. Like, you know, now, it's like, I, that's a little different than what I'm thinking. I'm not thinking about being nervous about dying. Mm -hmm. If I faced a a certain death that wasn't like the beasting where I was just gone. Yeah, yeah, okay. Right, right. I would probably be, you know, not nervous about it, but you know, every day you gotta live through it until you're gone. Right, right. And so that that is a little different. What I'm talking about is clinging to this life. Right. Wanting to be here. That's a little different. But I you're right. I, I can't say that if I was to get cancer today and they said you're gonna die in eight weeks, that I wouldn't be whatever about it I'd probably be kind of you know in your head you, like it, it's just terrible because you know you're gonna start degrading pretty soon you're gonna be so miserable that you can't get out of bed and then you're a burden on other people and all that kind of that's not I'm just talking about clinging to this life right, right, okay. I don't want to cling to this life I want to be out of here and you know people say I can't wait for the rapture well, if that's true, then I can't wait for the rapture, whether it's through my death or through its being out of here. It's the same thing. You're going to go. So, yeah, I just I just want to be out of here. But, you know, it, it's there are nice things here. I'm happy with the people I know. I'm happy with my family. I'm happy with the work I do. None of that is bothersome to me. None of it. That's not the point. My point is I would just let, rather take the step to something way, way better. That's all. Okay, so no rush. Yep. Okay, so another long one here. Strap in. Pray continually. Pray continually. And this one says 17 of pray without ceasing. Ah. Okay, so they took a two and went to three. I bet you they took a three and went to two here, but whatever. Pray without ceasing. Um, verse 517. Prayer is a precept which Paul writes about many times. He says in Colossians to devote yourself to prayer. He says in Romans to be faithful in prayer. In Ephesians, he tells us to pray in the Spirit and to do so with all kinds of prayers and requests. There, he also specifically says to keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Such examples are all tied up in the thought of praying without ceasing. Okay, I, inevitably, I get this question. So without even going on, and I may talk about it again, uh, I mean, I may mention it, but it's on my mind right now, is that people say, well, why do we pray? I mean, if God already knows everything, why are we praying? And that's a very common question, and it's something that, it's, it's a good question, because uh, you have to think, um, sometimes prayers don't seem to be answered. Sometimes prayers are definitely not answered, at least in a positive sense. And, you know, you're praying for somebody to get healed, and they don't. Um, who was it? Just this past week, we were praying for somebody, and they sent me an email. Uh, hold on. In the UK. A person sent me an email from the UK and it's his aunt and we were, I'm sure it's his aunt, we were praying for her, she's in the hospital. I, it's coming back. I, I, I have to review things. If I don't read them, I don't remember more than a day or so. But um, anyway, he apologized. He said, I haven't gotten back to you, but they, they said she's not going to make it. And so we've got these people that are praying for her and it was like a miracle. She's better. And I have to attribute that to the Lord. Now, you know, we don't know. And that's one of the things about people. You, I believe in faith healing. I certainly don't believe in faith healers. But I don't believe that faith healing means everybody is going to be healed. That's just not realistic. But the Lord, the reason why we pray is because if we do not pray, 
then God is not going to respond to it. God knows everything in advance. He knows if Charlie Garrett is going to receive Jesus or not. But if I don't receive Jesus, I am never going to be saved. It doesn't mean that just because God knows that I will or will not choose Jesus does not mean that I don't have to choose Jesus. There's two things going on here. There's God's foreknowledge and there's our action within the stream of time. His foreknowledge knows exactly what is going to happen, okay? And he knows if I'm going to pray for a person or not. He knows that in advance. If I don't pray for that person, he will not respond to it, even though he knows in advance, which means that his response to my prayers was something that was foreordained before the world began. And yet I have to make that prayer in order for it to happen. Paul would not write these things down if they would not come about. If there was no point in prayer, he would not have prayed and he would, have not, would not have told us to pray. So God knows whether you are going to pray for your aunt or not. He knows that if you do pray for your aunt, which he knows in advance whether you do or not, if you did, then he has factored that into his healing of your aunt. And if you're not going to pray, there's no factoring it in, okay? Everything happens at the sovereignty of God, but that does not negate our action on this side of what is occurring, okay? Right, because That's, <laughs> that it, he wants us to love him. Yeah. If he forces us, it's not love. It's not love. And if he gives us that opportunity, we will not know that decision until we make it. That's right. So it's like, again, he knows knows where you're at. It's like, I know it's going to happen. That's right. But I want you to make the decision. That's right. And if you think about that, uh, take Calvinism that says you have no choice in your salvation. Okay. Well, then why do you pray? Right. Because if you don't have any choice in your salvation, you obviously don't have any effect on praying for other people as well. Calvinism is a failed system. We'll stop with that. I I don't need to go any further. It's just insane some of the things that they teach in that okay and people hear it they don't want to think it through logically and so they just go with it and you know there's nowhere that you can find in scripture without abusing scripture that you do not have to receive Jesus it is so plain and clear from John 3 16 to Romans 10 9 and 10 to 1 Corinthians 15, 3, and 4, there's nowhere in Scripture you will find that you are regenerated in order to believe. You're not going to find that. You must receive Jesus. You will be regenerated and sealed with the Holy Spirit. That's the process that the Bible gives, okay? If you want to know more about that, we've got the Doctrine Series sermons, which I did. You just go to the Superior Word, go down to Playlists, and go to Doctrine, and there's about 10 or 11 of them, and you'll learn all of what we believe here and why and how it fits with the Bible, okay? If I'm wrong, I'm wrong, but that is what we teach because I can assure you that Calvinism is wrong. Yes, it is wrong, okay? Um, So, let's see here. Uh, All these are tied up in the thought of praying without ceasing. Uh, We are to pray constantly, fervently, consciously, and purposefully. In so doing, we will then be able to fulfill the previous words of this sentence, which say... To rejoice always. It is through constant communication with God, meaning through Christ Jesus, that we are able to remember the very things God has done for us and those things which he has promised to us. Okay, seeing as how I brought up Jesus, we're praying to God through Christ Jesus. Is it okay, and anybody can answer this, is it okay to pray to Jesus? Yes, yes, yes. Anybody disagree with that? Okay. I get this question once in a while, and um, 
somebody emailed me also this week about, you know, praying to God, praying to Jesus. Can we pray, you know, in different ways? And uh, one of the things was that Jesus is the Father, okay? Does anybody know the problem with that? Jesus is the Father, okay? Because it's a triune. That would make it a... Mono, well, it would it be a, it, it would be mono, but the problem is at first that is a, a heresy known as patri passionism. If Jesus is the Father and Jesus died on the cross, then the Father died. On then the Father cross. died on the cross. Patri Father passionism. His passion. The Father died, and God did not die. Everybody understand that? When you, people will you'll hear a sermon and somebody will say when God died on the cross, and they're not. They don't intentionally mean to state a heresy, but they are stating a heresy. God did not die on the cross. The human Jesus, and this is what is called the hypostatic union. He is the God-man. The human Jesus died on the cross. God did not die, okay? Um, the hypostatic union says that Jesus Christ is fully God and fully man. They are never intermingling. That would be a heresy. They are never separated. That would be a heresy. They are always united. Okay, but his human body died on the cross and resurrected again. God didn't die. So, patripassionism is a false concept. But what about Jesus in uh, Isaiah 9 6 being called the everlasting Father? How do you defend against that? Because that's one of the things that my friend emailed me. These people have got these things and they're telling me these. How do I answer that? Would he have been talking about Jesus? He wouldn't have been talking about Jesus. Isaiah 9 6. What? Everlasting Father. The Prince of Peace. The Abiyad, the Father of Eternity. Okay? The Prince of Peace, the Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God. Okay? If He is the Everlasting Father, how do you defend against that? Well, all I did was I took about this much of my Christmas sermon from a few years ago and I sent it to her and I said, This answers it. That is a title. He is the Father of Eternity. That means that eternity belongs to Him. Abraham is the father of the Hebrew people, right? It's a designation. Charles Babbage is the father of Sergio? Uh, the, uh, Publix. The computer. <laughs> oh, the computer. Charles Babbage. He is the father of the computer. Okay, he invented the modern computer. So he, he is not a computer. Okay, he is the father of the computer. When it calls Jesus the everlasting father, Abiad, he is the father, the possessor of eternity. He created it, okay? But it doesn't mean that he is the father, okay? So if you struggle with the Trinity, then you can go back and you can, same series, doctrine series, and we talk about the Trinity. We talk about the nature of Jesus, his deity and his humanity. We talk about the Holy Spirit and God the Father. But the answer to the question that I just asked is, can you pray to Jesus, and the answer is, everybody agreed, yes. Okay, where is one example of that in the, the Bible? There are several of Revelation. them. Revelation, okay. Um, I'm thinking specifically praying to Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Okay, well, that's that would be a prayer to Jesus. Okay, so that's a good one. Um, uh, there's another one I'm specifically thinking of is in Acts chapter 7 when Stephen says, Lord oh. Jesus... Forgive them. No, yeah. forgive them, but he specifically says, receive my spirit. He addresses it directly to Jesus, okay? So um, he's talking without any identifier about uh, forgiving them, but he uh, specifically says, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. 
that's enough. That's all we need is come Lord Jesus and receive my spirit to know that we can pray to Jesus. There are other uh, things that Paul hints at in his greetings and, you know, his uh, initial and uh, final greetings in his epistles. But um, you can pray to Jesus. You can pray to God the Father. You can pray to God, okay? But when you pray, it should be through Jesus because he is the mediator of our prayers to God. We cannot approach God independently. That's what everybody on this world thinks. Every religion that believes in a God believes that they can go directly to God. That is impossible. Why? God is... Uh, he is pure, infinite. Mm -hmm. He is holy. He, he is completely separate from fallen man. The reason why is defined in one three-word letter. Anybody? Sin. 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 That's right. So... Sin separates us from your God so that he will not hear you. He cannot hear your prayers because there is a, a mar, an imperfection in us. And hence, Jesus is the mediator to carry. He's the one that covers our faults. He's the one that, that allows us to be presented to God the Father. When God looks at you and me, and I said this just a couple weeks ago, but I'll repeat it so you remember. When he looks at you and me, he does not see you and me. He sees his son, the perfection of his son. Because if he saw you and me, he would be seeing our imperfections. We're not being imputed sin now, but we are still imperfect beings. We're still doing things we shouldn't be doing, which are offensive to a holy God. Jesus is the one through whom our prayers should go. Whether they're directly to Jesus, or we pray to God the Father, or we just pray to God in general. We want to pray through Jesus because he is the mediator and he is the only mediator. Can anybody tell me where that is recorded? It says in the Bible, there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Okay. No Mary, no saints. We can't pray to dead people. We can't pray to anything or anybody else except Jesus. That's right. He even it, exactly very good. John fourteen six. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Okay, it is impossible because without Christ, we're eternally separated from God. So um, there is one mediator between God, and man, the man Christ Jesus. One I believe. Timothy two five. Thank you. I was just going to say one Timothy, and I would not have gotten two five. But sir, like Burke when I have a computer. Oh, he's just like Burke when he has a computer. Well, Burke's got that own computer up here. He doesn't need, yeah. But yeah, I, I was going to say it's 1 Timothy, but I could not think of the exact verse. So 1 Timothy 2.5. Let me say um, something. Yes. It's always, it, it always baffles me. Of the Trinity, who's the closest one to us? Well, the Holy Spirit is right. in us. He but, dwells but nobody in ever us. says that. He's my counselor. It's like, well, yeah, he is. And like, you know, so, you know. There, there's you, nobody ever we don't even talk about like you know praying to the Holy Spirit to God to the Father through the Holy Spirit it, yeah. it's just like it, it's, it's something about the Holy Spirit and the fact that it's the closest thing to us but we're we're not thing we don't well he's the closest <laughs> deity to us. he's 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 God yes he's in us he's sealed in us yet we never like like address him as like yeah well because it, the Bible doesn't really address him in that way right. and so just, I don't want to add anything any I concept yeah I but it, it isn't even in discussion we never even like touch on that it wasn't like well you yeah. can't because the Bible just doesn't address it. Mm -hmm. And so because it doesn't, I'm not going to get in. He does say in the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, he brings in the Spirit in it just like, uh, you know, uh, Jesus in the uh, uh, 
epistles. He writes at the opening and the ending. If you go to him, you'll see that the Holy Spirit is included in the process. But about, you know, the way the charismatic churches treat the Holy Spirit yeah, like a, is not biblical. I, it's I, not I, biblical. I and so I just don't, I don't, you know, I, it's not that I want to ignore the Holy Spirit. He's got his function, and we define that in the doctrine series. Right. But I don't want to go beyond that it's because a major that's what. Function. It's like, it's, oh, yeah. It's like, thank, thank you, Lord. And like, yeah, you that know, we're sealed with your spirit. Right. Absolutely. So it's just like, it's just something that's always been on my mind. It's always interesting how something so close was just like overlooked. Yeah. And, and for reason, it's not stated in the Bible, but I mean, you know. Lord be with me. It's like, hello. Yeah, he's you know? right there with you. And that's another that's another logical defense for eternal salvation. Mm -hmm. You were sealed with the Spirit. There, a seal is something that is granted by somebody. Okay? And when that is given, only that is what matters. That is the binding agreement when, you know, uh, when a, uh, a cave is sealed. That is a binding agreement that this is not to be touched. There may be parameters around it, etc. But uh, and that goes by the authority of whoever did the sealing. The Holy Spirit is the highest authority. There is no higher authority, and therefore we have no right, no power, and no ability to overrule what has been done by God in the sealing of the Holy Spirit. We cannot undo it. It is His sealing. It is not our sealing. It's for us in that sense, but it is his seal. It is his name that is on the line when he said, I receive you as my son. Okay. He has now covenanted with you and me. He has done that in Christ. If he violates his side of the covenant, then it is not God. That's all there is to it. God has covenanted with Israel. Israel has never, never been faithful to, you know, I'm listening to the, the uh, uh, One Kings right now with the life of Solomon. That's what I'm going through while I'm driving in the past day or so. And the life of Solomon is, you know, he, he was talked to by the Lord in a dream. When he's done building the temple, he's talked to by the Lord again. Now, it doesn't say how it happened that time. It, doesn't, it, it could have been a prophet come to him. All it says is that the Lord came again to Solomon. Okay, but he's talked to two or three times right there at these key points in his life. And yet you go a few minutes later while listening and he's out with his wives sacrificing to Molech and sacrificing to the abomination Chemosh and all of these other gods. And you think he was not faithful. And not only was he unfaithful to uh, God in that sense, he was unfaithful to God in what is written about the king in the Torah. The king shall not multiply wives. He shall not multiply Horses. Horses, okay? He, All of the things in order. Don't do this. The king shall not. The king shall not. The king shall not. He violates one after another in his life. He was unfaithful right from the beginning and all the way through his life, not upholding the word of the Lord. Israel, after him, every single king has his failings. There's a couple that nothing was bad was really said about them. But all of these kings, Manasseh was so wicked it had Israel so turned away from the Lord that there was no remedy but exile. Even after Manasseh died, he still said, I will not forgive Israel for the sins of Manasseh. And yet, 2,500 years later, they are still a people. They are still under his covenant protection because he is God and he has covenanted with them. 
Their unfaithfulness does not negate his faithfulness. And so when people say that you can lose your salvation, they have not thought through the issue. That's why they're replacement theologians is because they have they don't trust God. And they say, well, it, it all follows. If you believe that God can can uh, throw away Israel, then you also believe that God can throw away your salvation. You don't understand the eternal nature of the decrees of God. That's for sure. God will not change. He will not break his covenant promises with you, despite your unfaithfulness. And if he did, would then he would not be God. He would not it's be like God. simple as that. That's, it's like, yep. I know from beginning to end, so why would I get into this covenant if I knew I was going to break it? It's Absolutely, because like, we are going to break it. Israel is going to break it. They're going to continue to break it. And then they're going to enter the new covenant, and they will be his people fully once again. Right. But until then, he has still got them under the the Mosaic law. He, they are still under that protective umbrella, despite their unfaithfulness. Okay, so uh, through Christ Jesus, we are able to remember the very things that God has done for us and those things which he has promised to us. But what does it mean to pray without ceasing? Does it mean we are to lock ourselves away in a monastery and mumble chants all day long, swinging censers full of incense and eating bread and water? Well, I love bread. I got to tell you that. I love bread. I don't drink enough water. That's a problem. Uh, I, you know, I know I need to drink more water, but I love bread. I could, Hidako knows that if she serves me good bread with dinner, that's all I'm going to eat. Isn't that right? She's sitting back there, oh yeah, that's him. I love bread. Okay, so she's got to either keep the bread away from me before I eat the rest of my dinner or just give me some bread that's just like five days old, five days old and it's got mold on it or something. I don't Okay, so, and I love the smell of incense. I got to tell you, swinging censers full of incense would be just a, when Sergio and Rhoda were in Israel this past time, they got me some real incense from Israel. Frankincense and myrrh and I, I mean, and it's in the, wow. not like we have here in America. It's, it, it's the little stones. It's just marvelous. And I only light it when he's over because he enjoys it. We sit there and the whole house will be <laughs> full of it. And we put it by the air conditioner so it sucks through the air conditioner. And just, <laughs> but it's, it's, it's what? It smells like an Orthodox church in there. But, you know, these are things that we like. So is that what we're supposed to do to pray without ceasing? Is to get an incense and swing it and, uh, and uh, eat bread and water in the monastery? Absolutely not. That's not what he's talking about. Okay? No. Praying without ceasing is a state of life. We can pray out loud in our minds. We can pray as we work and as we walk. Every week while I'm blowing off the parking lot for three hours on Wednesday morning, I'm talking to God. It may not be, uh, uh, you know, I'm not on my knees and I'm not, you know, asking anything in particular, but I'm talking to him. I'm having communion and fellowship with God while I am working. And when somebody comes to mind, you know, I, I'm busy and I I'm forget somebody sends me a prayer request and I need to get my mind away from things. And so I'm out there and I got nothing else on my mind. And I remember these people and I'm like, Lord, I lift up that person right now. That is praying without ceasing. You are constantly talking to the Lord. Okay. Uh, sometimes you, I don't know. Let's see here. We can pray out loud in our minds. Uh, we can pray alone. We can pray with others. Prayer is communication with God. When we are thinking about something which blesses us and we say in our souls, that is so beautiful, thank you, Lord, we are praying. We're acknowledging his existence. I tell you what, you all know this because you're in Sarasota right now. We have gotten 
tons and tons and tons of rain in Florida over the past, uh, you know, three months. Okay. But most of it started right at Sergio and Rhoda's house and it went east, right? They got rain. Every day I email them, are you getting that rain? Oh, it's so wonderful. We're getting a great thunderstorm. I love this out. He knows he's doing this to me to make me angry because there's been no rain on Siesta Key. We're on the Gulf and it has to take time to build up over the land before it starts raining. And so it is literally so dry out on the island that, it, you know, the, the desert winds are blowing, the mounds of sand are piling up. I'm kidding, obviously, but it's very, very dry. I have to go out and spend, no kidding, I, I can't afford it, but I have to go out and spend two hours a week to water things that will otherwise die. And that should not happen this time of year. You should be getting rain constantly. But because the wind is coming off the gulf instead of coming off the land the way it normally does, we're not getting any rain. For the past two days, guess what we've rain. gotten? Love and it. I'm out there in the first, he coheres me. I'm saying, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And I say it like 20 times. Woo, thank you, Lord. Because he has given us that rain. He has decided it's time to give it to him. And I'm so thankful, and I just keep thanking him. Thank you, thank you. You know, and I open up the door, and I look, and I say, thank you. A couple minutes later, I'll go look out the other door, and a little puddle in the, the grass, and I'm like, thank you. So that is, that is part of praying without ceasing. You don't have to do anything except just be grateful. And to talk to him when something's bothering you, Lord, this is just bothering me. You don't have to get on your knees and do that. You just talk to him. You are acknowledging his existence. And by doing that, you're having communication with him. Praying without ceasing means praying without ceasing. You are in communion with God, and that is what Paul is talking about. Okay. This rain came off the Gulf, too, by the way. Yes, there's rain. It's not raining now. I no. thought we might get some. While I'm reading this next sentence, I'm going to look at the radar just to see if... I, you know, when we first started, I heard the, uh, the thunder right when we started praying. And so... Um, uh, let's see. Now, there's nothing out there right now. We are we are without rain. There's right there, but it dissipated right off the coast. Yeah, so, um, yeah, it will. It'll probably come again tonight. What's that? It reminds me like when Rhoda and I speak, we never really finish speaking. It's a like continual conversation. Yeah, it's a continual it's, conversation. If we stop speaking, something is wrong. Like, right. Why aren't you talking to me? So, but if we're continually conversating, <laughs> <laughs> so you know there's trouble. <laughs> Absolutely. Big trouble. I, I don't know if they heard what you said, but uh, Sergio said, he and Rhoda are always talking. They're communicating. And so when you stop communicating, that means that there's something wrong. When you stop talking to the Lord, there's something that is interfering with your communion with the Lord. And he knows what it is, but at the same time, you should be acknowledging it. Lord, I'm just so upset right now. Keep communicating even through the time when you feel like stopping. Just talk to the Lord. You know, I don't care. It doesn't matter anymore anyway, because uh, when you were young, when we were young, we'd, you'd drive down the road and you'd see somebody talking to himself and you knew that person was crazy, okay? We don't know that anymore because people have got things in their ears and they've got phones in their pockets. and So nobody th everybody's just normal now talking to themselves. But I couldn't care if people thought I was crazy anyway. I talked to the Lord all the time. And, you know, I'd be out there banging on, I was breaking up uh, some brass that, you know, when we replaced the plumbing this week. And I have all the, you know, the things that go like for the sinks, the, the screw here and the screw here. Well, they replaced all of them, okay? And they replaced everything. But those, they got little brass pieces on the end of them. And I'm not going to throw that away. So I take a hammer and I bang them and I turn it over and bang them. And eventually they fall apart. And I got a whole pile of brass here that'll go down to the recycle, right? Well, I'm talking to the Lord while I'm doing that. And then somebody came around the corner and I'm like, 
I don't care. If he thinks I'm insane, that's that's fine. I'm still going to talk to the Lord. So that happened this morning. Anyway, um, uh, whatever. Um, okay, so pray without ceasing. Um, uh, when we're distressed over something terrifying occurring in our life or because of some issue which is sad in our souls, we can open our hearts and cry out to God in prayer, which is audible and painfully woeful to others' ears. And any communication between these extremes, indeed, any acknowledgement of the Lord's presence in our lives, which is mentally or audibly communicated to him, is a type of prayer. Okay? You are, you are acknowledging that he is alive, which means that you have what? Begins with F and ends with eighth. Anybody? If you're talking to God, you have faith that God is there. Okay? Go and read Hebrews 11 and see what it says about faith. Faith. It is the hall of fame of faith. In, uh, yeah, in the Bible. It explains what faith is. It explains what people did to demonstrate faith, okay? It, and those are things that happened because they believed that God was there. And here's another thing, and every time I say this, somebody uh, immediately thinks the wrong thought. So let me finish this, okay? And I'm talking about, any, I might get an email, and then later they'll say, oh, I misunderstood what you said. Do Muslims have faith. Yes. Yes. It takes a lot of faith to go into a shopping store and pull a cord and blow yourself and 45 other people up. The difference between their faith and our faith is that theirs is misdirected. They have put their faith in the wrong place. Okay. They're not going to heaven by blowing other people up. Okay. You know, and that may be offensive to people that I say that, but that is what the Bible Why teaches. Well, I, I'm just Lord, I'm just saying that you know in today's world you have to accept what everybody believes, and if you don't accept what they believe, then you are being, uh, you know, uh, unkind, judgmental. judgmental. Okay, but what everybody believes cannot be true. There cannot be universal truth that what they believe and what I believe and that what Buddhists believe and what you know all these other religions believe. They, they cannot be true. They contradict each other, and if, if that is true, this cannot be true. If this is true, that cannot be true. There's just no way around it. So you have to determine what is truth, all right? Truth is, the best description I've ever heard of truth is very simple. Truth is what corresponds to reality. If God is God, and we're talking about the God of the Bible, then he is real. What we believe about God is either corresponding to that or it's not. That's it. Is that chair capable of holding me? Well, I'm going to go find out. Okay? Truth is what corresponds to reality. If you just remember that, and I think that was Norman Geisler's de definition of it. It may not have been, but I think Norman Geisler was, uh, he's the one that certainly said it to me, but I don't know if he was the one that first thought it. But truth is what corresponds to reality. If the God of the Bible is true, then the other religions, by default, are false. There's no other way around that, and if that offends them, tough, okay? If the God of the Bible, this Bible, this Bible here is true, then Mormonism is a false religion, okay? Because what they teach in Mormonism contradicts what this says, okay? Once again, Mormons might not like that, but that's the way it is. They have believed in a false God. 
They believe in a Jesus that was a man that became God, okay? And someday they believe that they will be a God, okay? There can only be one God. The Trinity does not dispel that, okay? A triad or a multitude of gods does, okay? So you just have to know what corresponds with reality. If you can determine that, and sometimes it's very difficult, it takes a lot of study. If you can determine that, then you will have truth, okay? And when Jesus said, I am the way and the emet, the truth, it means that he is what corresponds to the reality of God. He is God, okay? There's no way around that. Okay, so, um, uh, did I say that? I'll read it again. Therefore, to pray without ceasing is to always have the Lord on our minds. This is the life of faith that is pleasing to God. There it is, faith, F-A-I-T-H. Let us then be obedient to this precept, living our lives in his presence, acknowledging that presence at all times, and may our lives be constantly filled with words transmitted to God, rising to him as the fragrant smoke of incense, always pleasing to him. Okay, that's what we should be doing. I, it, once again, it takes training. Just like anything in this world, it takes training to pray. Okay, you have to say, I'm going to remind myself to talk to God. And the more you do it, the more you will do it. It's like anything else. You don't know how to ride a bicycle, and you start to ride a bicycle, and then you ride a bicycle. And after that, you're used to it. And it, it's not difficult. And if you fall away from riding your bicycle, it doesn't take long to get that back. Okay? So it is possible to pray without ceasing, without actually being a prayer person. You're just talking to God. Okay? Um, uh, I had a point about that, and it went out of my mind. Okay. Groaning works as well. Groaning. 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 I'm missing it says, it. it says it in the Bible. It says groans. Oh, groans, yeah. When you don't know what to pray, when you're just, oh, the Lord is there interceding for you. Yes, it, it, the Lord knows. That is not speaking about false tongues. That's not speaking about any of no. those things. Okay, no. that is, uh, there are things that we do not even know how to express to God. And God knows. He already knows what we need. And if we cannot express it, if we're groaning to God, trying to tell him what our heart and desires are, he knows. He, the Spirit, will work that out of us. As he said, the Spirit is the, the closest being yes. in the universe to us right now. He is in us. He is filling us. He has sealed us. He, is he indwells us. And he knows what we need. And when we can't express it, the Spirit is there to get that out of us and to present it to God in a logical manner. So, absolutely. Uh, life application. If you are reading this commentary, or if you're hearing it, I suppose, and thinking about the Lord, thanking him for an analysis of his word, then you're in the process of prayer. Now, let this state continue. Always pray without ceasing. Just do it. Just pray without ceasing and uh, talk to God. And the more you do it, the, the more... Oh, I know what I was going to say. Not only is it something that we need to learn to talk to God always, but it is also something we need to learn how to talk to God. Okay? If you uh, remember Joe Agresti, he was in our class. We had a guy that was in our class at uh, uh, Grace Baptist Church. Okay? Yeah, he, he came here a couple times. He never attended. He just came because there was something going on and he wanted to be here that day. They had their own church they were going to. But he, uh, uh, he, 
could pray better than any person I'd ever heard. His prayers were marvelous. They were marvelous prayers. If, you know, you just say, hey, Jim, would you pray today? And Jim would pray. But when you said, hey, Joe, would you pray today? Everybody would stop and listen. He really knew how to effectively pray. And one time I said to him, I said, you're a very good prayer person. And his wife said, well, he wasn't always that way. And she said, he couldn't, he couldn't open his mouth and pray two words. And I'm like, we all start that way. We all start that way. The whole point of that is that we all start that way. You go out to the projects with us, and eventually Tom is going to say, why don't you pray for this person? And you might not be able to get five words out. You've been listening to people for the past hour pray for other people, and yet you have never taken the time to process how to pray yourself. And so you, 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 you're embarrassed. You're trying to get two words out that make sense. People are listening to you, and you're thinking, I never want to come here again. And then three weeks later, you're praying very effectively. It just takes, like anything else in life, to learn to pray properly in front of others is something that takes time. It takes practice. It's not something that is just natural to most people. It wasn't to Joe Agresti, but boy, when he prayed, that guy could move mountains in people's hearts. He really could do it. So don't feel like, oh, I, I'm not a good prayer person. Well, practice, okay? Practice makes perfect, and it really does. It, it's something that uh, all of us started that way in the projects. You know, we'd like, thank you, God, for uh, this person. We prayed that they have a good week. Amen. And that's it. You know, and by the time you're done, you, you know how to pray for their child. You know how to pray for the needs that they said. You know how to pray for their aunt, and you know how to end properly in Jesus' name. And, you know, but all of that takes time. So don't feel like you are the exception. You're not. You just haven't become the unexception yet. Okay? So, life application. Oh, I've already said that. 518. Give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. In everything, give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So, there you go. They did the old switcheroo. That's right. Okay. 518. It can often be hard to be thankful in this life. That's true. That's very true. Family and friends die. We get ripped off by others. Sickness and trials are always just around the corner or maybe even in the room with us right now. For these and seemingly countless other reasons, giving thanks seems impossible. But when offering thanks in such times, we are truly fulfilling what is right and proper. If you are going through a time that is absolutely miserable and you can still say, Lord, thank you, for being with me through this. You are doing what is right, 100%, because he knows the misery that you are going through. He knows your sickness. He knows the sadness. Every single thing that is harming your relationship with him or your ability to express your relationship with him, he knows that. And so when you can take the time and say, thank you, Lord, for being with me in this time, this terrible time in my life, that is really something that it may not be easy, but the Lord knows that you really mean that, okay? So uh, when we really and fully trust that we are where we should be, and that's what I say at the end of every single sermon. I try to remind people the Lord has you exactly where he wants you. He has a good plan and a purpose for you, okay? And then I modify it for every book of the Bible. So each book I change it a little bit, but um, I do that because it is true. 
He has you exactly where he wants you. And he does have a good plan and a purpose for you. But you have to be willing to follow him and trust him. And if you do those things, he will be with you. Okay, so um, uh, let's see here. If we uh, uh, acknowledge that God knew we would be there, then we are demonstrating that we believe that God is fully in control, even in the worst of circumstances. In giving thanks at such times, we acknowledge that he has something better planned for us, and we trust that that is true. Okay, not only that, not only do we acknowledge that he has something better for us, but that goes hand in hand with rejoicing always, because we are rejoicing not in our current state. We're rejoicing in what he promises us. Okay, and that's what I tried to tell you. If you are rejoicing in your current state, if you're rejoicing in this life, there's something seriously wrong with you. But if you are rejoicing in the hope that you have in Christ Jesus, then there is something, everything right with you. It is Everything is as it should be because uh, even on the very best of days in this life, there is something that is not right, okay? There's just some, and there are great days out there, don't get me wrong, but on those days, those are the days we should be thanking the Lord. We should be, you know, it was such a good day, Lord, thank you, all right? But at the same time, when it's a bad day, Lord, thank you for being with me. Thanks, then, are a demonstration of faith, just like rejoicing, just like praying, these things that Paul has laid out for us, each one of them is based solely on faith. You wouldn't be praising God if you didn't have faith. You wouldn't be praying to God if you didn't have faith, and you wouldn't be rejoicing in God if you didn't have faith. So once again, these each one of these precepts is something that is based on faith, okay? So um, I, now I've lost, oh yes, um, uh, no, I don't know where it was. Let's see. Yeah, we trust it's true. It's a demonstration of faith. And they are not just for times of trouble, but even in the often the most ignored times of abundance. Okay? Uh, here we are. We're living in a nation. It's kind of going south now. But anyway, we're living in a nation that's got lots of food. It's got lots of, you know, wide streets. And everybody's got a car. And we're all doing really well. And what is the natural thing for the people of the nation to do? forget God. That's And it happens always. It's just the way when things get really good, we forget God. All right. And that's human nature. I've got what I need. I must have deserved this. I must have earned it, whatever. It's when things go south that people turn to the Lord. And if you don't believe that, just go read the book of Judges. Just go read the book of Kings. Okay. They will tell you that when things are going well and everything is prosperous, look at Solomon, who I mentioned, He's got all these wives. He's got all this wealth. He's got everything he could ever want, and he turns away from the Lord. He fails to acknowledge the one that gave him everything in the first place. Very hard to do when things are going well, okay? And so if we can remain thankful, I'll give you a perfect example of that is, um, uh, I'm sure I said this recently, but if, uh, anyway, um, a lady was... uh, in Bulgaria, Romania, one of the countries, or one of the poorer countries, and uh, they were having, you know, a, a mission go over there, and a temporary, uh, short-term mission, and they said to the lady, it must be so hard to keep your faith in a place like this. And the lady said, we pray for you. Our faith is not going down in a place like this. Where you are is where, the, and she knew that. She understood what the Bible said, that when you're in already in a disastrous state, 
you're going to turn your heart to the Lord more, not less. But when you're in prosperity and everything is going well, you don't need God. Okay, and so that's why I said a couple weeks ago in the prayer, Lord, whatever it takes to get this nation to turn around, that's what we should be praying for. Not for wealth and prosperity, not for more abundance, but we should be praying that this nation gets what it deserves so that it will turn its heart back to you. Okay, and unless we get it, we ain't going to do it. That's all there is to it. There's Revival is not going to come at a time when things are, are filled with what they're filled with right now. So... Um, but you started off with a good point that bolsters that, which is basically if you're joyous because of this world, that's right. Then you will pray to God when this looks like this is being taken away from you. So you're basically it's almost shameful that, yeah. that it takes a bad occurrence to a turn back time. to God. But here it is, I'm turning back to you because there's nothing I here for me. Back. Now. It's yeah. like you know all that stuff. It's it's it's, it's kind of scary, but you yeah. know. Yeah. No, we all well, have to just wake up eventually. Judges, kings, read them and you'll see it. Mm-hmm. When things are going smoothly, we often forget to stop in our comfortable tracks and say, thank you, God. We get so caught up in the fun that he becomes an afterthought. And so Paul admonishes us in everything, give thanks. Truly, this is pleasing to God because it is an ever-present acknowledgement that he is there with us. It is, as noted, a demonstration of faith. And as the Bible says, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. Mm. Obviously, yeah, think, think that through. I mean, it's an obvious, it, I mean, it's a proposition that speaks for itself. But unless you think it through, you're not going to get that. Read it again. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. It doesn't matter. It, this takes you right back to law observance. It takes you right back to doing good stuff, okay? Unless you are doing it in faith, it's not pleasing to God. There is no thing that you will do, even as a Christian, if you do something that is not in faith for God, then you will not receive a reward for it. You cannot, because you're not acknowledging God in the process of it going on, okay? Whereas if a person has very little resources, has very little ability, but is able to demonstrate faith in what he or she is doing, that will be rewarded greatly, okay? It's not the size of the thing you do. I had a friend yesterday I was talking to on the phone, and, and uh, he says, I just don't feel like I do enough. And I said, you know what? What you do is done in faith. It is something that is greatly helping. And so don't let that worry you. People worry about the size or the, the you know, the what is it when everybody sees it? Um, the uh, the, yeah, you know, I, I got to do something so that people know that I'm doing something. That's not what's going to please God. The only thing that matters is what's going on right in here, in this ticker here between you and him. That is it. And if it's something small, but it's done with great faith, he is going to give you a great reward. Okay. If it's something great and magnificent and it wasn't done with faith, you're going to get nothing out of it. Okay. Everything comes back to faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. Obviously then, with faith, we are found pleasing to him. Paul then continues with, for this is the will of God. In verse 4, 3, the, uh, Paul said that the will of God is our sanctification. As much as it is God's will for us to be holy, so it is God's will for us to be thankful. 
in being thankful, we will remember our connection to him, and we will then desire to be holy. These logically support one another. This state of thankfulness exists in the person who truly believes that God wants the best for him and that the best is yet ahead. Now, I said that before they did, so I'd get the credit for that one. The best is yet ahead, okay? This is what God promises us. He tells us these things, and so if we can cling to that and have faith that it's true, even in the best of times or even in the worst of times, we are demonstrating faith, okay? So um, they support each other. It's something that we should be pursuing. It is something that we should have in our lives constantly. Just like being uh, praying always, just like rejoicing always, we should be thankful always. In our bad times and even in our very best of times, we are to be thankful for the life that we have been given. The spirit, spiritual life, which has been granted because of the work of Jesus Christ. As Paul says, our thankfulness is God's will in Christ Jesus for you. In Christ Jesus. We're in him. It's a state that exists. It's a state that will not be taken away. It's a state that promises us a new life, a new hope, something better. And so whatever happens in this life, no matter how good, no matter how bad, it should not distract us from the main goal of being thankful in him, of rejoicing in him, of cherishing who he is, okay? This is what we should be doing. This is a life of faith. Tom, you doing okay? I can see. All right, you go on home. Have a happy, Take happy care, birthday, Tom. all right? Thank you. All happy right, birthday, take good care. All right, you be good. Where does it say without faith? That's Hebrews 11, verse 6. Yep. Take care, Tom. Get that knee, uh, get some astringent or something on there, some, some Chinese something. Poor guy, he's really struggling. Oh, he told me that before he came. He says, I might not be able to stay the whole class, so poor guy. But, you know, even on Saturday, he goes out to the missions and he'll just pray and then leave. You know, it, he just wants to at least, ah, oh, he's such a good guy. Tom is just, he is an amazing human being. Uh, life application. A couple of the many, many examples. Other times that thankfulness is mentioned for us to consider are found in Ephesians 5.20, Philippians 4.6, and Hebrews 3.15. Take a moment. Well, let's just do it then. Seeing as I said take a moment to read them, we'll do it. Because you're going to go home and you're going to get busy or mom's going to have dinner for you or something or wife or whatever, and then uh, you're going to be uh, not reading them. So we'll go there right now. Ephesians 5, verse 20. Okay, and that says, um, oh, yes. Oh, i got to tell you something. I'll read you this, and then I'll, I'll, I'll read the whole thing, and then I'll stop, and I'll tell you something. And do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Okay, so um, you got the thanks part there. I wanted to tell you, somebody sent me an email and they were attending a church and the church does not use music, it's a cappella. And they use the verse that I just read you to prove that you should be singing a cappella, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And that proves that you need to, yeah. Okay. Uh, 
I, you know, people can take things so out of context that it is literally amazing. Okay, so I, I typed up probably a, a five-page response for the things that he said, this is wrong, and it, or I want to know, are these wrong? And I feel so bad. I feel so bad that people get so caught up in legalism mm -hmm. that they can't just enjoy life with the Lord. They just can't do it. Another one was that you have to have one loaf of bread and one cup. And I've known people, that, you know, in other words, uh, you have to have one cup and there can only be one loaf of bread. If you don't, then you're violating it. I said, try that in a church with 3,000 people, right? It's just goofy. And the next verse explains it. It's Jesus. Whatever. I don't care if you have 10 loaves sitting there or if you have 50 cups, you know, little cups for people. The point is Jesus. It's not the cup. It's not the bread. It's many, explained right there. How many but, loaves did Jesus use to feed the masses? Uh, yeah, there were quite a few. That's right. There were six or uh, seven, whatever. And, yeah, plus a couple it wasn't fish. Wasn't one. But yeah, it wasn't one. They missed the entire point in attempting to be legalistic and following through with it. They missed the entire point of the joy of living in Christ. And that was only two of about ten really stupid things that this church was doing. I just keep things in context, okay? I, I just I don't understand how people can be so manipulated by that kind of thing but you know gotta have acapella you can't have music you, <laughs> I, I, I better just stop I, I was just you know yeah okay so the next one was Philippians 4 6 we'll go there and uh, let's see here uh, Ephesians okay back one more Philippians come on Charlie there we go 4 and verse 6 it says be anxious for nothing but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And then, of course, I said um, Hebrews 13, what was it? 15. So Hebrews 13, oops, I went too far, Charlie. Uh, Hebrews 13, 15. And it says there, oh, I'm in 11. Can't go to that. 13, next page, 15. It says, um, therefore, by him, by Jesus, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. So here, Paul, I'm certain that Paul wrote it, but I qualify that it is not a named epistle, but um, he writes there that prayer to God is a sacrifice, okay? The fruit of our lips. It's a sacrifice, just like they went down to the temple, and that's in the Old Testament as well, but they went down to the temple and they did sacrifices to the Lord, and the Lord is accepting our praises and thanks to him as a sacrifice okay so uh, we got time for another one let's see here um, that's the verses take a moment to read those verses and consider them in the context in which they have been written the context and this after this be sure to be thankful in all things there you go with that so once again context matters context matters when you read a verse and it seems like something is uh, you know, I, I'm not quite sh understanding this. Read all of the verses around it. You might even have to read the whole chapter. But if you take one verse out of context, you will come up with all kinds of funny doctrine. Uh, there are many, many churches that I've uh, been to over the years where people have things just like that. They sing a cappella only because the Bible tells us to. And then you look and you find out that's not it. One of the things that this church said is that you must be baptized in order to be... Members. No, saved. And I thought, what a tragedy. What a tragedy to tell somebody that. You know, it's so clear. <laughs> I, can you imagine this? Okay, 
you're supposed to uh, go and make disciples baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Okay, so you have to be baptized in order to be saved, but you don't understand what being saved is. See what I'm saying? I mean, if I have to do this before I'm saved, then, then yeah, it, forget the work part. I mean, it's true. That would make uh, salvation works, but you don't even understand what the point of what you're doing is. They say you need to baptize, be baptized in order to be saved. It's preceding it's salvation. salvation. <laughs> it, it, if you just think it through, it makes no sense. It's the most illogical thing to think of. Okay, now you can be saved. Right? Well, how do I do that? Well, you did the first part. Now you have to do this. It doesn't make any sense. It's just if you think it through. Okay. Uh, whatever. I, 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 I'm sorry. I just, I see things like that. And I think this is an actual, this isn't just somebody with bad theology. This is a church. This is an established church that is telling people these things. They haven't gone far enough to read the verses around the single verse that they're telling you must do as a point of doctrine in that church. Okay, 519. I thought we were going to get done tonight, but not. So, oh, no. do not put out the Spirit's fire. Okay, do not quench the Spirit. Okay. Um, I like that better. Yeah, quench the Spirit. Okay, these words from Paul give us great insight into the work of the Spirit in our lives. In Ephesians 5.18, Paul said, be filled with the Spirit. Okay, the verb in the Greek there is present, imperative, passive. In essence, right now, certainly, you are to have the Spirit to fill you. It's passive. It's not active. You don't actively go out and get the Spirit the way charismatic churches teach. Okay, an example of this so people understand is that you, the moment that you are saved, you have all of the spirit that you will ever get. You will never get more spirit. But the spirit can get more of you. Get more of you. you are passively filled with the spirit. He's already there. You've got the fullness of the spirit. You are now allowing the spirit to come into you and to, because not, I married her 39 years ago. I'm not going to get any more married than I am married right now. Okay? But my wife can get more of me or I can get more of her as we yield to each other. Okay, that's what the relationship is with the spirit. Okay, Hedico's sitting there thinking, I can't wait to get more of my husband. <laughs> I'm not a really, I don't know, whatever. Anyway, um, yeah, so uh, it was uh, uh, like, uh, where was I? Yeah, do not quite, oh yeah, okay. Right now, certainly you have the spirit to fill you. In Ephesians 4.30, he then writes, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit. The verb there is present, imperative, active. Thus, it gives the idea of right now, certainly you are not to do this thing. In other words, the onus is on you to do that thing. Whereas the other one is the onus on you to allow that thing to happen to you. Okay? So there's a big difference between the two. All right? Uh, let me... Uh, uh, yes. Okay? And so it says... I'm sorry, I just need to make a little correction there. Um, now Paul writes, do not quench the spirit. What do you suppose is the state of this verb? It's We've gone through the past two. The first one was be filled with the spirit, present imperative passive. Then the next one was do not quench the spirit or do not grieve the spirit, present imperative active. 
This one is do not quench the spirit. Will it be like the first or the second? Second. second. It is present, imperative, active. Like grieving the spirit, we are to be active in not quenching the spirit. What we are seeing here is a truth concerning the spirit's working in our lives. Being filled with the spirit is a passive thing. A person actively drinks wine, but then there is a reaction when the wine makes the person drunk. A person in a hospital who needs an IV does not fill himself with the drip. Instead, it is received passively. The person could pull out the drip, thus he would stop being filled with it. The believer has all of the spirit he will ever receive the moment he calls on Jesus Christ. But the spirit can get more of the person. On the day of a person's marriage, I've already given this, but I'll repeat it, they are now married. They will never get more married. But the spouse can get more of the other spouse as yielding takes place. The same is true with the spirit. In order to be so filled, the Christian is to sing praises, to pray, to worship, to fellowship, read the Bible, talk on the things of the Lord, and so on. In doing these things, they are filled with the Spirit. You are doing things actively that allows the passive filling of the Spirit. Okay, Understanding this, both grieving the Spirit and quenching the Spirit are active, not passive. When we do something inappropriate, we grieve the Spirit we already have. Likewise, when we don't actively do the things necessary to fan the flames of the Spirit, we are quenching the Spirit. I stopped going to Bible study. I stopped reading the Bible. I stopped going to church. I stopped talking about the Lord with my family. I stopped telling my children about Jesus. We are quenching the Spirit, actively doing it. We are the ones that are causing it to happen. All right? The Spirit is not able to work through those type of things because we're not allowing anything we're we're actively working against it just think that way and this is the idea of the spirit in our lives it is as a fire in matthew 3:11, john the baptist said and i indeed baptize you with water unto repentance but he who is coming after me is mightier than i whose sandals i am not worthy to carry he will baptize you with the holy spirit and fire in Acts 2, the Spirit was said to come down upon the believers at Pentecost as tongues of fire. The Spirit then is as a fire which, one, can be quenched in our lives, two, must be fanned in our lives, and which will only then, three, fill our lives. Our actions result in the Spirit's filling, but there is a truth which cannot be missed. We possess the Spirit. Paul never says, nor can it ever be implied anywhere in Scripture, that we can accidentally lose the Spirit, remove the Spirit from our lives, or have the Spirit purposefully leave us. We are sealed with the Spirit the moment we believe, and that will never change. He is our deposit, our guarantee of our redemption in Christ. That is explicit in Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. And so to not quench the spirit, something we can actively do, we are to praise God, pray to God, meditate on God's word, fellowship with other believers, live in holiness, and so on. Every single day almost, I get a message from Sergio and he talks about what he found in the Bible. He is actively working in his life 
and he is having this, he's not quenching the spirit, the spirit is being allowed to fill him. And we talk about whatever he found in the Bible. He did it this morning with, I don't remember the verse, go ahead, Sergio. Um, uh, uh, First Kings. First Kings, and it was uh, very insightful. We, we only got four minutes, so if you find it, find it. And um, uh, he does this to me all the time. We, we talk about the things, and sometimes I'll send him something I'm so excited about, and you know, he won't get it. And he says, you know, sometimes you just have to be at that moment to, so sometimes sharing your personal experience with somebody isn't going to really affect them that much. But if you find it, yell it out. I'm going to keep going until you do. Um, those things which are displeasing will do the opposite. This is why Paul said to Timothy, therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on, uh, laying on of my hands. The word translated as stir up means to kindle afresh, as in fanning the flames. Paul implored Timothy to actively do this in order to be fully filled with the spirit he possessed because of his faith in Christ. Oh, yeah, it was about the temple. It was being constructed. Oh, yeah, yeah, the construction of temple. That's right. We're living stones, but he came up with a point is that the stones were not seen in the temple. They were covered with cedar, and then the cedar was covered with gold, okay? And so he was saying that may be a picture of, you know, us in Christ. And God sees us, the stones are there, but God sees us through the deity. And so we got to think this through because we don't want to come to some uh, erroneous conclusion, but we're, we're kind of talking about it. What's that? No, it's just a good point. Because oh, yeah. A lot of those things were related to Jesus. In oh, the, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. So we're trying to be Christ-like. Yep. And, yep. Uh, let's see here. We got two more minutes. Yeah, uh, Paul implored nice. Timothy to actively do this in order to be fully filled with the spirit he possessed because of his faith in Christ. So we likewise are to conduct our lives in order to be filled. The spirit will only fill those receptacles which are properly yielded to him. That's why going to charismatic churches and doing what they do does not change anything in their lives. And I've said it a million times and now it'll be a million and one. When I was on Facebook, which I'm no longer, oh, it's so wonderful. Um, uh, when I used to be on there, I would see people go to a Baptist church and they'd say, uh, or I'll start with the charismatics. Sunday morning, I'm going to church and I'm going to get filled up. After church, oh, it was such a great sermon and the music was so great. And I'm so, everything is great. Oh, blah, 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 spirit, spirit, spirit. And then Monday morning, they're miserable. And all week long, all you saw was miserable posts. Whereas the Baptist church, somebody goes and they said, what a great message today. The pastor preached right out of the Bible. He spoke about the importance of blah, blah, blah. On Monday, my dog got run over. I'm so thankful that he was in my life. I'm thankful to the Lord. Tuesday, my wife and uh, children ran away, and I'm, I, but I'm so thankful to the Lord. And they are grounded in their lives because of the word and fanning the spirit in their lives. The charismatic don't have any grounding, and so their lives are miserable. They get some hyped up thing that you can get at a rock concert, no kidding, and then the rest of the week they're miserable. So if you want to be content in life, you're gonna get it right here, and doing this right here, fellowshipping, and listening to the word of God, and learning the word of God, you will be granted. One more minute, life application. If you are saved, you are saved. Deal done. You are a son or daughter. However, your standing in relation to the spirit you now possess is one which requires you to do certain things and to not do certain things. 
When failing to appropriately act, it is we who will suffer. Why are so many Christians dead in the pews? Probably because they aren't even in the pews. What a waste of eternal rewards, staying home and watching football. Instead, let us expend our energies in spirit-directed activities, and thus we will be pleasing to God. Heavenly Father, thank you for this wonderful word. Thank you for the surety we possess and the hope that we possess because of Jesus. And it's not just a dubious hope that we uh, say we believe, but we want to cling on to this life. It is a hope that we know is true and that it will come about in its due time. And when that day comes, there will be an existence that we cannot even imagine now. Thank you for that promise. Thank you that it is ahead and that it's coming soon in our lives because our lives are short either way. We love you. We praise you. We thank you. And we exalt you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, let me back this up and we'll say goodbye to folks online. That was good. Thank you. Thank you, Charlie. Thank you. Thank you.